is live. Assalamu alaikum. Hotep. Shalom. I want to welcome you to another area of Conscious Vibes Radio. I am your host, Ramiel Ilbay, and I want to thank you for uh, your attention um, to the uh, to the show today. We have. And we're going to officially be changing time of the show uh, to doing it Mondays at 11 a.m., although today we're earning at 12, mainly because of flaw on my part when I'm entering the information. Um, but the show will be done on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So please make a note that that will be, the day will be the same. There will just be a time change to accommodate other things that um, are going on and need uh, attention. So today's show, today's uh, conversation uh, will be about Independence Day, the truth about Independence Day. Is it a... um, a celebration that's worthy of our attention as as Moors, as Asiatics, as the true Aboriginal Americans? Is there anything that is ancient within the celebration that we need to uh, know about? We will cover these topics. Before I get into uh, the topics, As usual, I want to make a few announcements. Remember that we have the study class every Thursday at Samuel Merritt University in Oakland, California Territory, and it's at 3100 Telegraph. And we actually will be starting this week on the study of the Constitution for the United States. So that will be what we begin on this coming Thursday. We've finished a six-month study of the Quran. Let me make sure. One second here. Islam. Islam. Uh, uh, did you uh, push one by accident, or did you? Uh, was I coming? I in did. Foggy? My, I did. I pushed one okay. by accident. I yield the floor. Okay, you. So <clears throat> we'll be jumping into the study of the Constitution for the United States of America, starting this Thursday. So. If you're going to attend the class, whether it's uh, in the physical or if you're going to be a part of the class on live stream, make sure that you have, you bring your own dictionaries, your own Black Law Dictionary, third, fourth, or fifth edition, or whatever edition that you have will uh, work until you can get the proper material. Uh, Search for and bring whatever is your oldest 
regular dictionary. If you have the scholarly Oxford dictionary, that's great. If you have an old Webster's, if you have a new Webster's, whatever you have, bring those materials. Also bring in a highlighter um, and a pen. Make sure that you you bring your attention span. The study of the Constitution will last for two months. And as I was saying before, we just finished up a study of the uh, Holy Quran Circle 7 of the Morristown Temple of America. And it was the most wonderful study. For those who were part of it, um, the feedback said that everyone felt that they learned a tremendous amount, that they under, got a better understanding of the pathway the prophet was leading us down and the why. Again, the understanding of the uh, Holy Quran, Circle 7, and the Science Temple of America is a must. It is a must if you are going to claim to be a part of the Moorish Divine National Movement. As I said in my last show, we have far too many who are thinking that the study of the mundane laws of the land is the most important. All laws of the land fall under nature's laws, theocratic laws, and if you don't understand those two, then the, the navigation of the mundane becomes pretty pretty much invalid and void. You must know your history, your lineage. That is where you will find the information regarding that, is in the Quran of the Morrison Temple of America. So now we're going to move into the Constitution. We're going to speak about the founding of the Republican form of government. We'll also, of course, get into how that government was overthrown. We'll get into why the articles read the way they do. We'll break down the wording. We'll break down the, the different seats of government. We'll, we'll get down, break down the different ratifications and adding in the different movements and the removing of certain amendments. So it's going to be a very in-depth study again. You know, have your dictionaries handy. Have your highlighter, your pens, plenty of water, and make sure to be up under a well-lit light. This is how we study. This is how we are to study. We also have the study class that meets biweekly in the Sacramento Territory at 4311 Ottawa, and that is run by Brother Howard Redmond Bay. And again, that is a biweekly class that is held there. If you want any information about either one of these classes, you can send me an email at northgate.com. Bay, Northgate Bay 
at gmail.com. Northgate Bay at gmail.com. And I can provide you with any information that you need regarding the class. If you are in the Sacramento Territory, Oakland, San Francisco Territory, or any other parts of Northern California, Southern California, Please be advised that I actually have a lecture coming up. I think it is July 23rd, if I'm remembering correctly, and that is in the Sacramento Territory. Um, the lecture is being put on uh, by African Americans for Balanced Health. I will have more information regarding that next week, but it is July the 23rd. It is on a Saturday, and the topic will be moving away from the ancient matriarchal system into the patriarchal system. So with that, we'll discuss the ancient forms of matriarchal rule and its and its original Asiatic, African, Moorish concepts, the suppression uh, that we see um, happening with women, the Moabitess in the different lands, uh, and what we need to do to correct this issue. So it's going to be a very, very, very uh, deep discussion, lecture. Um, uh, so make sure to get your tickets in advance, uh, you can look at aabh.net for ticket information. If I'm remembering correctly, the uh, donation for entry, I think they have it set at uh, 10 notes if you are not an AABH member. And five notes if you are an AABH member. So once I get the rest of the information from them, um, which I should have it, I'm sure, all of it by next week. So once I get all of it, I will make sure to uh, put it on the air and um, get you everything you need. So let's get into, into our topic. As everyone knows that today is what is referred to as Independence Day. It is July 4th. It is the annual celebration of the American Revolutionary War, as it will be called, um, War of Independence is also another name for it. Within the context of understanding um, this war and its annual celebration, you must pay attention to um, world politics then and now and understand the landscape of what was going on. Through the explorations that took place starting in 1492, where Columbus sails the waters blue, you had 
the age of exploration starting with European colonization corresponding to the time of the fall of the Moors. So it should be of no uh, happenstance in thought. We should not see it as just mere happenstance that the, the age of exploration starts with the fall of the Moors in 1492. Now, with this age of exploration, you had the colonial um, powers going to explore and conquer the territories of the Moors. During this time, you had a lot of unrest in Europe. You have the Protestant Reformation and also the, uh, the Catholic Reformation that was trying to counter the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so you had uh, Albion's and war with Albion's during this out, outsetting of the uh, Age of Exploration. The purpose of the exploration was to plunder the land, gold, and birthright of the Moors. Now, of course, you know that it's 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 taught a different way. Taught that they were going to explore the world to, you know, then they come to these newfound lands, which is what we know of now is what they call Canada, um, and all these different things. But with the Moors falling, now the attention was turned to stealing the birthright, the gold, and the land. Now, eventually you had colonists come and began to um, make encampments here in this land. First, um, they were welcomed by us, the Aboriginal, Indigenous, Attachinous people of the land. In the beginning, they were looked at as people who were coming and then eventually would be leaving. But because of eventually, and we're fast forwarding to your 16, uh, 1700s, because of trying to and wanting to, needing to escape oppression, many of the said so-called explorers then began to settle in these lands. With the overarching power of the church at that time, of your European or British British settlement, and your Roman or red man settlement has the people there under a very, very oppressive state. Prior to the fall of the, of the Moors, you had the age of, 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 the, uh, of the Renaissance or the rebirth. It must be understood that during the time when the Moors were in in power, and even during the time when the Moors were falling, Europe 
enjoyed a certain amount of freedom and even the Albions there because education was given to even the common man. All who were willing to learn higher knowledge were invited into the schools and the universities of the Moors throughout Europe who would bring in some of their scholars or what they would deem as scholars, bring them into our universities, such as the University of Salamanca and many of the other you know, universities and schools that we have there, and then send them back into different provinces within Europe to then teach their own people those same principles. Well, with the fall of the Moors, the church began to pull again and started to remove those degrees of learning. You had in the 1200s the issuance of the Magna Carta because the growing power of the king was getting too out of hand, got back together, or came together to write what would be called the Magna Carta, Magna Charta which was a way for them to draw back the, the, the king's hand of oppression at this point. So these things began to take place again as the Moors fell. This is where you had the outlawing of anything besides the Catholic creed, um, and you had the, um, the Christian crusade, this is when you started to have, or when the Moors fell, and we were told that either you convert to Christianity, you leave the land, or you die. So as these aspirations started to come here, eventually they turned to colonists. At first it was come here to plunder. And eventually it became come here to colonize because of the type of land and opportunity that was offered here. So when these colonists came, you had them still being under the authority of the crown. So they were still severely under the authority of the crown. There were 13 colonies at this point, 13. And each one of these colonies were still run by James the first, second, or third, depending on which year we're speaking of. King King George, not James, King George the uh, third is the one we will turn our attention to here shortly. But with these being still up under the authority of the crown, 
the people here were still being taxed and certain laws being enforced that they didn't readily agree with. And because of them not readily agreeing, you have certain events start to take place. As these events start to take place, you have a series of events that set into motion that lead to the annual celebration that we call the 4th of July today. One of the words that you will hear Europeans use a lot, or one of the phrases, has to do with taxation without representation. That goes back to what is called the Stamp Act of 1765. The Stamp Act, S-T-A-M-P, Act, A-C-T, 1765. We want to go over this, and then we have a caller who wants to come in, and I'll bring um Bring them in after I finish this talk. 1765, you have the Stamp Act, which was an act through Great Britain that was never voted on colonies here on this land. So the 13 colonies had no say in the Stamp Act. They had no representation in Parliament at this time. So you have the 13 colonies here who have no voice in Britain. So everything that Britain was doing was just passed through their legislature and then enacted on this land. So with the passing of the Stamp Act, you had a huge uproar, uproar take place here on this land because the colonists feel like the Stamp Act was unfair, especially since they never got a chance to vote on it themselves. The Stamp Act put a premium premium tax on those who were seeking scholarship who wanted to be lawyers or anything of uh, any learned degree. One of the reasons that 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 tax was put on those certain types of degrees of knowledge was to suppress any colonists here from being able to get a formal education that would allow them to usurp the throne. And so there was tax put over certain things. There was tax um, on teas put put out. So tea was a huge commodity at this point. And there was a pretty good sizable tax put on it. You had a, a, a tax put on buying land, owning land. Now, what made these taxes very peculiar to the people is that the colonies had their own printed paper that they used as currency at the time, as paper for trade, what people would mistakenly call money. That was plentiful in the colonies. However, these taxes that had to be paid to 
Great Britain had to be paid with the with the, the finances or the money of Great Britain, the pound. And so because that was not plentiful here, it set up a rate or a way of taxation that not only the colonists thought was unfair, but really was not able to be paid. So because you couldn't pay the tax, you also could not go to certain schools because you couldn't pay the tax. You may be able to pay it if you could use the colony's paper money, but because you had to pay it back in Britain currency at the time and it was scarce, they could not get it, then it stops you from being able to pursue certain degrees. So I'm going to bring in a caller from 713. 751, area code is 713, the exchange is 751, Islam. Islam, more, how you doing? All is well, King, how are you? Doing good. I was just um, chiming in. I kind of doubted in late to the call, but I was listening. It's a very good topic and very good for discussion. I want to elaborate, but um, you kind of, you've been speaking when I, when I, Chimed in, you kind of passed up the subject, so I don't know if, if, if it was ideal for me to go back into the part that you were uh, talking you can go, about. With the yeah, you can, go, you can go back. It's fine. I just wanted to add to what you were saying when you were talking about the, uh, the 13 colonies. Initially, they was, um they were six corporations, and, it, it, and uh, the whole relationship with uh, – with the with the Avians from from Great Britain was about trade. They was trying to get a better position in the trade game and in the trade market because they was not recognized to to have any authority with trade. It's like they would come over to trade with us and we would tax them so hard through through the annual tributes, and we was really doing them unjustly with how we was charging them and taxing them, and um. They once they did get established where we did the Treaty of, uh, the, the treaty of Peace and Friendship, uh, and they did become under that uh, that protection. They was initially set up as six corporations because it was all about trade. It was all about corporations and doing business and trying to do business over here because over here on this land soil we had a lot of resources and we still have a lot of resources today that was needed. You mentioned tea. Tea was huge. Also uh, cotton was extremely huge, which was, you know, part of the uh, inflation of the Civil War that from the south to the north, uh, uh, cotton was real huge down south, you know, one of the biggest commodities or whatever. And to add to that, tea was another commodity. And um, out of them six corporations, they uh, are the six guilds, what have you, they turned into colonies. And then they expanded to 13 colonies, which they started talking about the different uh, pieces of land. But the majority of them, 13 colonies, was all on the East Coast. It wasn't down south because down south had their own resources, uh, had their own resources, and, and down south was actually booming with resources and with their economy. So they was only part of the northern economy in, in, the, in the northern trade or what have you. 
And so the, I found that piece very interesting. And uh, I was listening earlier when you were talking about the Magnificent magnificent Charter and uh, what all did that mm-hmm. mean. And I think that's real good information. So Islam more. That's all I, I was elaborating on. Islam. Appreciate it, Anil. I'm going to put you on mute, and I'm going to go back uh, to where I left. So, as Moore was saying, and as I was elaborating on, with this taxation, this is where you get the taxation without representation that you'll hear them speaking about. You hear it on TV today. You hear it whenever they're speaking about the War of Independence. They'll always say it goes back to taxation without representation, and so on and so forth. So you had, because of the the Stamp Act, you had several uh, different things take place after that. I see I have another caller. I'm going to finish this talk, then I'll bring in the 916 Exchange 834. You have several different things take place. With the Stamp Act, and because it was considered to be um, unfair, you had then small groups come together, and they started to form small militia groups. Now, this would be small little secret societies that existed and took certain people from each uh, colony. And they would meet in secret in the, in the different colonies. And when, when they would meet, they would begin to speak about ways to overthrow or remove themselves from Great Britain. Now, this becomes part of the foundation um, of your Continental Congress um, and even the war that ends up becoming a revolutionary war. So then you fast forward and you have, or actually you go back. So, yeah, no, excuse me. You, you go forward you have in 1773, You have the Boston Tea Party, who are a group of these men who dress who dress up as aboriginals or so-called Native Americans. They throw on this garb, and they enter onto the British ships in Boston, Massachusetts. When they enter these ships, as an act of treason against the, tr- the crown, they enter the ships and they begin to dump loads and bundles of the tea into the harbor. Now, you have to, in order to understand the significance of that, you have to understand that tea was a very, very, very powerful trading commodity at the time. It was, it was, it was something that was very, very important, tea, very important. 
So this was no regular act of defiance. It was an act of treason against the crown. Now, once they did that, then the crown acted and began to close off the ports in Boston, in Massachusetts, so that until that territory paid back finance for that tea, all that tea lost, they stopped them from being able to do any trade. And this is part of what um, the Moabite Pineal was talking about the call in. Everyone was angling for trade. So Great Britain, as a show of authority, cuts off Massachusetts, the Massachusetts port until they pay back the finance. For coming onto the ships and dumping the tea, and then what ended up passing is the Tea Act, and so you have all these things start to take place. And I'll pause there to take the caller at nine one six eight exchange eight three four area code nine one six exchange eight three four Islam. Islam, can you hear me? Well, you might have pushed it back, then I'll um, mute that back out. So with the the Tea Act, the Boston Tea Party, the Stamp Act taking place, you had a setting off of training events that continuously began to spark an outrage. Now, based on um, the Boston Tea Party, Britain also passed some acts that was called the Intolerable Act. And that's a point of, of research that you can can look up the intolerable acts because all of these things are changed events that take place that set off this war. The intolerable acts happened in 1774. And this is in response to the Boston Tea Party. They're also called the Coercive Act, C-O-E-R-C-I-V-E Act. Those acts, again, take away Massachusetts' ability also for self-government. So the Intolerable Act or the Cohesive Act, their point was to take away self-government. Now, with all these things starting to bombard the colonists, they began to call amongst their most learned men. And this becomes the setting up of the First Continental Congress 
1774. And you had several things taking place with this Continental Congress. For those who are astute, you also remember that in 1774, at the foundation of this Continental Congress, this is when the Moors were branded as black, Negro, Ethiopian. With the formation of the Continental Congress, they were going back and forth on how to deal with um, Great Britain. They wanted to be completely independent at some point. Some in within the Continental Congress did not want complete independence, but you also had a couple of different factions over in Great Britain. You had what would be called the Whig Party. And that ends up becoming the Whig Party that operates over here also. But the Whig Party in Great Britain, they were for treating the colonists fairly because they felt like if you didn't, it was going to push the colonists to revolt. So with the founding of the Continental Congress, you start to have these secret meetings. And this meeting was of, of the Odd Fellows. Took place in Philadelphia. And it was an underground meeting of Albion Mason. And within this Continental Congress, they're trying to figure out again what to do about the problem with Great Britain. Also, they're dealing with what to do with the problem regarding the Moors. That's a point for a later discussion on this topic. So with the forming of the Continental Congress and them wanting to deal with sovereignty self-government within their, within their new colonies. Great Britain, of course, is not agreeing. Great Britain does not see it the same way they see it um, and is not willing to step back and give them complete autonomy because it is still a part of the crown. And, the, and at this point, Great Britain is not willing to allow them to have representation either. You also have to remember who a lot of these people are. A lot of the people who were colonists here were a lot of the people who were criminals over in Great Britain. So you've got these two warring factions, um, basically one trying to keep one in the gridlock and one trying to um, get free. In the colonies, Great Britain colony, Great Britain had troops stationed. So Great Britain at the time had bases, as we would call them today, of their troops. They're, called, they're Great Britain troops. The same way 
the colonists that we call the U.S. have bases all over the world in their colonial territories today. And so these forces, these troops, would impose the will of Great Britain. So in New York, you had skirmish take place that sets off the war. The Continental Congress uh, appoints George Washington as the general of the army. He suffers a few defeats early. But then he's able to, to win, win some. He goes throughout the different territories, getting different militia groups together, getting ready for the coming hostility, and again, the war kicks off. Now, when the war kicks off, of course, you're going through, uh, in some parts, Britain had superior forces, and then in certain areas, the colonists had superior forces. So that really determines um, the wins and the losses, you know, of the small battles. What tilts the hand of the war is that France, who was also at war with Great Britain at the time, who was really pushing Great Britain to the brink financially, decides that they're going to join with the colonists to fight Great Britain. Also, Spain comes and then joins with the colonists to fight against Great Britain. That tilts the hand of the war, actually, and gives the colonists certain naval forces and more ground troops that eventually allows them to win win the said war. What happened after that, the war is really won because great to an extent. Okay, I'm using the word won, but the truth is that this country actually didn't win their independence that way, and we'll get to that later. But as they, as the war ends, eventually the what's called the Treaty of Paris in 1782 began to take place in April, and the treaty, or the preliminary parts of the treaty. Um, are signed in November of that same year. And then the treaty is ratified in 1784. Now, the Treaty of Paris is now the treaty that's, that's signed that allows for independence. It's the treaty where Great Britain and the U.S. to an extent sever certain ties 
that make the crown the overall ruling authority of the colonies. And it allows the Continental Congress to then go on and form a sovereign government to an extent. And so this is this is why it's celebrated as independent. Or why you have this annual celebration of independence. Now, the July 4th celebrated based on the Declaration of Independence that took place in 1776, of course, declared at that time by the the Continental Congress. Declaration of Independence declares the the 13 colonies as a new nation. Again, no longer a part of the British Empire or being governed by the crown. But the fourth was actually not the day it was signed. It was actually signed on the 2nd, July 2nd. Or it was actually... um, brought into existence on July 2nd and formally signed, uh, I think it's July 5th. And so that leads to the annual annual celebration. Now, what must be recognized, some of the most important parts of this, now that we have the overview of the background, what must be understood is really who the colonists were fighting independence from because most of the story that I just told, I'm sure in many ways a lot of people will know, at least a great number or different parts of those details. But what is left out in those details is the historic part of who King George III, King George, King George III, King George II, and that lineage worked. King George III was a Moor. He was a, he was an individual of African Asiatic stock, Moors ancestry. In today's terms, he was black Negro colored. Now, as King George is doing these things. King George actually is continuing some of the ways of the other Moors and Moabites who were running certain tyrannical governments in Europe at the time. So the colonists themselves was actually fighting to get away from our rulership. 
or from a Moorish ruler. In the history books, of course, they show you the depiction of King George of the Albion, and that's going to be your, you know, your common, common picture. In the British Museum, they have a different picture of King George III. Now, if you Google King George III, you'll find that the picture of him being a Moor actually does come up. Or you can go to R.V. Bay Publications, R.V. is in Victor, Bay, B-E-Y, publications.com, and they have the picture with a little bit of detailed history about what was actually going on there. And why um, their need to get away from us was so great. So I'm going to end that part of the discussion. Is that if if you want to call in and add any detail there, go ahead and press one now, because what I'm going to do now, after giving that brief part of history, is to go into the actual ancestral customs that we had that revolve around this time of year going back into dealing with the um, Dollar Star Series and things of that nature. So if there's anyone who has any questions, go ahead and press one now before we close out that segment. And if not, we're going to get right into it. Now, if you had pushed one before, and wanted to come in again, push one two times, and that'll take you out and back and put you back into the queue. So even if you've spoken on air before and wanted to make another comment, push one, wait a second, then push one again. All right, we have 910-366. Exchange, area code is 910, with the exchange 366, Islam. Islam, Noble, just wanted to, you know, tell you I appreciate everything you're doing. This is Brother Wasim from Northwestern Mexico, Charlotte Territory. Islam, Moab. Islam, man, like I said, I just want to say I appreciate everything that you do and continue to do the great work. Indeed, I said I really didn't have anything to, com- to comment on. On what you're sharing, brother. Okay, I appreciate that. I, I do. It's long. It's long. It's long. All right. So, brother Abdullah, uh, uh, Abdullah Tamasiel Bay, uh, put out his paper, uh, the Masonic Gate. Uh, I think this paper came out uh, two two years ago, two calendar years ago now. And he dealt with uh, the Masonomical 
uh, astronomical and geometrical origins of the 4th of July. And in common terms, she deals with the alignment of the, of the cosmos, the stars and the planets, and what that has to do with the 4th of July. So what I'm going to do is, one, if you, when you have a moment, go to his website, which I will give out to Moorish Civil Litter, M-O-O-R-I-S-H-C-I-V-I-L-E-T-T-E-R.net. And you can ha- you can get a order of this paper that came out two years ago. And you can't just order one because they're fifty cents, you know. But if you order a few, uh, you can get them sent to you. I'm going to take take a dive into it and read some of the excerpts from it, and then. We'll expand on on it from there. But again, you can get this paper back ordered, and he does a tremendous job, tremendous job breaking the information down um, to where it's easily understandable. It says the subheading says is Fourth of July a Roman holiday or an Egyptian? holiday. Says this excerpt from the Moors and Masonry projected to be released in the summer of 2014 provides the general public with a proper view of Masonry. The people throughout the world have been given a distorted view of Masonry which leads them to be disinterested in the Masonically very ancient knowledge of astronomy and geometry. Educating the general public about the ancient store alignment of Orion, Taurus, and Presidious and Sayers saw a greater appreciation for the 4th of July celebration, which did not begin with English colonies in 1776. The European Masons' selection of July 4th as the day to celebrate their independence is based on the European Masons' knowledge of Egyptian and Moorish science, culture, and philosophy of cosmic law and nature. The phrase laws of nature and nature's God written in the Declaration of Independence is the foundation law and the keystone to establishing and maintaining civilization and government. Indeed, the European Masons are standing on the shoulders of the ancient Moabites, Egyptians, Sumerians, Babylonians, Canaanites, and Hittites. The European Masons honor the ancient ones by serving the important astronomical event, the heliacal rising of Sirius, which which occurs between July 3rd and July 7th, with their Independence Day on July 4th, the 4th of July Independence Celebration. Sirius was both the most star of ancient Egyptian astronomy and one of the deacons, star groups, into which the night sky was divided, with each group appearing with 10 days annually. The heliacal rising, the first night that Sirius is seen, just before dawn, was noticed every year during July. Early Egyptians used this to mark the start of the new year, the opening of the year, 
it was celebrated with the festival known as the coming of Sabbath. The sun rises in the northeast on July 21st in the northern hemisphere. Astronomically and geometrically, June 21st is the summer solstice, which marks the sun's furthest point north of the equator or the highest ascent elevation. On this day, the sun stops his apparent northerly motion and hovers for three days, and after the third day, the sun begins his apparent southerly motion. The word solstice is from the Latin solstrum, from sol, sun, S-O-L, sun, and citrum, to stop. The statue of William Penn faces northeast, which is orientated to the rise of the summer solstice sun. William Laxton, in the Civil Engineering and Architect Journal, Volume 10, documents the astronomical layout of the center city, Philadelphia. The Masonic practice of laying the keystone, cornerstone, foundation stone in the northeast corner of a building is emblematic of the rising of the summer solstice sun in northeast. The Masons celebrate the feast of John the Baptist on June 24th, which astronomically and geometrically marks the day the sun makes its southerly descent after reaching his furthest point north of the equator June 21st. What occurs astronomically is serious. The brightest star in the sky reappears in the sky after being behind the sun for 70 days. This astronomical phenomenon referred to as the heliacal rising of Sirius. The word heliacal means point pertaining to the sun. The root word hell, H-E-L, is derived from the Greek and means sun. And the suffix all or A-L denotes an adjective and means pertaining to. The heliacal rising of Sirius occurs shortly after the summer solstice, which is on June 21st in the northern hemisphere. The solstice is fixed point determined by ge- geometrical measurements that marks the outer limits of the sun's apparent motion north of the equator. The European Masons hold the summer solstice in high regards because it signals the near onset of annual floods, especially the flooding of the Nile River, which coincides with the heliocal rising of Sirius, which occurs between July 3rd and July 4th, when Sirius enters Cancer. During this time, the Earth's orbit places the planet the furthest from the sun. The astronomical phenomenon is called Aphelion. Sirius is called the dollar star because the bright star's prominence in the constellation Canis Major. Canis means dog in Latin, and major in Latin means great, the great dog. Cyrus is located in the south in the sky and east of Orion, and the stars in Orion's belt appear to point toward Sirius. Sirius is associated with Aset, the Egyptian goddess of the eastern horizon in the sky. Aset has been translated to the Greek word Isis, daughter of Isis. Therefore, Sirius is the eastern star. The names of the woman's secret orders referred to 
as the Order of the Eastern Star, OAS, and the Daughters of Isis are based in astronomical events, the helical rising of Sirius. The star Sirius is personified as I said Isis, standing in a celestial boat with a five-pointed star over her head and facing Osiris on the right stand, facing Osiris on the right standing in his boat. Also, Isis was depicted as a large dog or shown in Rome riding side saddle on a large dog. So that's that excerpt. As you should be able to see from that, that the picking of the day was not coincidental. The picking of the day was based on astronomical alignment. Now, we must understand the energy and the gateways that opened up during this period of time. Because as you understand those gateways and those energies that open up, then you get a better understanding of why these things matter. You hear about during these time periods of uh, starting um, yesterday and um, moving on for, you know, for three days proceeding from yesterday about energy and your mental concepts being very fertile because there's energy vortexes, energy grids that open up and how as these things open up, your intentions are being planted. And as your intentions are being planted, they come to fruition three thirty days later, three zero. And so understanding and doing more research on the dog star series and what their astronomical uh, representations and benefits are will give you a, a much broader understanding of why this day was picked. I think our sister um, uh, Riciel speaks on it uh, on her page today, dealing with their intentions and being careful. And you hear uh, other brothers and sisters also speaking on it, giving some of the information out. But you want to pay attention to those things. That's why Brother Abdullah is saying here becomes so key understanding that there is energy at play. And so what the colonists do is that as these energy grids open up, they set holidays such as these up to capture your energy. So this is why everyone is told that it's an independent day of celebration. So now you have people celebrating colonist tactics, a colonist era. You have people celebrating that, putting glad tidings for that, putting their will behind and in front of that. That helps to continue to perpetuate these governments, these colonial governments. It's also a form or tapping into a form of meditation without people knowing that they're actually meditating. Intention 
intention, intention becomes everything. The universe taps in to intention, especially our intention. So I'm going to pick up on another part. It's the up. He, he goes into another part. He says, uplifting women through restoring ancient world culture. An ancient world culture, which has positive references to women, has been suppressed through linguistic craftsmanship and words of art. The linguistic manipulation of words that reflect the creative and, and intuitive nature of women leads to the psychological subjugation of women. Restoring positive ancient cultural references of women through linguistics and etymology will increase women's insight of their divinity, creative power, and role as the custodians of ancient civilization and world culture. Inundation of the Nile Valley, of the Nile River, the flooding of the Nile Valley, and its association to the womb and fertility of women. The life-giving qualities of the Nile River to the Nile Valley are compared to the life-giving qualities of a woman to her child. The ancient Egyptians personified Sirius, the dog star, as Aset, and Greeks personified the dog star as Isis. The Egyptians personified Sirius as a woman because the annual astronomical event referred to as the Heliolithic Rise of Osiris brought about the onset of the annual flooding of the Nile River which created a fertile green valley across the desert in the Nile Valley and provided the land with fertile silt, rich black soil, and as, is, as a result, fertilized the crops. Therefore, the Egyptians used the Nile River as the life giver to the Nile Valley. So he's going into there speaking about the fact that with our ancient culture, you had a reverence place on the Moabitess. And so with the annual inundation or the flooding, the overflowing of the Nile was tied to the dog star, which is represented by Aset. And because it was tied to Aset and based on the heliacal rising, it brought fertility. It fertilized the land by bringing the black silk, silk that would lay over top of the top of the ground with the water. And as the water sunk in and evaporated, the black silk would stay on top and eventually sink into the ground preparing the ground for the planting season, giving the, the ground its means of fertility. And because of that fertility that the helical horizon brought, it was likened and revered from a feminine aspect. And it was a way for us to show our reverence for the fertile and life-giving properties and abilities of the womb of the woman. 
It was a way for us to revere her. And through the suppression of these things also coincides with the subjugation of her, but more importantly, the wound that's tied to her, subjugating her creative principles and abilities under a patriarchal form of government and thinking. And so now you removed the respect and the reverence and put everything back into a masculine form and thrown everything off balance. So he goes on to say, the now valley, the life giver, Cyrus, every Mary, Mary Stella, hell star of the sea, Cyrus as a true virgin, Mary. As mentioned above, the ancient Egyptians based the new year on the annual flooding of the Nile River. The helical rise of Cyrus signaled the onset of the flooding of the Nile River. The Nile River's annual flood gives fertile silt, rich black soil for agriculture to the Nile Valley and creates a fertile green valley across the desert. The name Mary means water, as in the word marine. The concept of the Virgin Mary originates from the annual astronomical event of the helical rising of Sirius and the flooding of the Nile Valley, of the Nile River. Therefore, Sirius is a true Virgin Mary, Queen Mother. So on 4th of July, the world will be honoring our Queen Virgin, Mother Mary. Sirius is a star of the Nile River. And now the Nile's annual floods have been happening for thousands of years. Carolyn Seawright and the inundation gives the public insight into the knowledge that the Egyptians had about Sirius and the role the star played in ancient civilization. She also provides insight into why Sirius was personified as a woman. Hail Mary, our glorious star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. He says Sirius, the dog star personified as a woman. Carolyn C. Wright, in, in the inundation, the ancient Egyptians used Sirius as the bit as the bringer of new light. This was because Sirius was newly visible in the sky at the time of the flooding of the Nile River. The life giving inundation would fertilize their crops. Inundation was also around the time that the Egyptians noticed the rising of the dinosaur Sirius. The goddess Sadep was the personification of this star, represented as a woman with the star as her hairdress or as a seated cow with the plant between her horns, just as Teshat hieroglyph might have been a flower or a star. Her star was the most important of the stars in ancient Egyptians, and the rising of this star came at the time of inundation and the start of the Egyptian New Year. She was linked closely with Isis, just as her husband, Thoth, the star Orion, the sun, Sethet was linked with the Cyrus and Horus. There's the woman, the life giver, the placenta, and the umbilical cord. As the Nile River is the life giver of the Nile Valley civilization, the woman is the life giver to her child. Expecting mothers provide nutrients and oxygen to the unborn child through the placenta to the umbilical cord. The placenta is connected by the umbilical cord or an opening in the baby's abdomen. Women, her breast, and her breast milk, life-sustaining, 
under the influence of the hormones placentin and the oxytocin, women produce milk after childbirth to feed the baby. The initial milk produces often referred to as cholesterol, which is high in immobilium, IgA, which coats the gastronomical tract. This helps to protect the newborn until its own immune system is functioning properly. It creates a mal-laxative effect, expelling methylene and helping to prevent the buildup of bilium, a contributory factor in jaundice. So it's speaking about comparing what happened during the time of child development and it's likening that to what happens with the flood inundation, being that the placenta is how nutrients are flowed or transferred, transported into the developing child. And through this placenta, the child is given the ability to grow. And it was likened to as the Nile River would overflow and it would feed its nutrients into the ground, allowing crops to grow. And because this, again, this inundation or this flooding took place at the exact same time of the heliacal rise in Assyria, it was understood and given to the nature or the creative nature or fertile nature of the woman. These things are celebrated and understood in your secret or sacred societies all over the planet. Again, it's about capturing energy. When we're speaking about fertility, when something is fertile in nature, all things are fertile, including thought. As above, so, so below, correspondence. So when we're looking at a time period of fertility or the universe opening up and causing chain reactions that induce fertility, this also corresponds with the fertility and intent of the mind. All things are tied together. So when we're looking at what intent is being placed and put out today, when you're looking at what is happening today on the 4th of July. It is the intent that is being carried out and planted and is fertilizing. And that intent, again, continues to carry on and, and is fertilized by the heliacal rising of Sirius, which opens up certain gateways and causes those intentions to become so. And as he brought out, this is considered the new year. The inundation was considered the new year. The spring of ancient Ikupta, or Egypt. So this is the time period that the new year is celebrated. And so we must get a better understanding of all these occurrences 
And then the last part that I'll read, which is pretty short, he says the architectural layout of of the Washington Monument, the obelisk, the Capitol building, and the White House reflects the alignment of Sirius, Orion, Taurus, and Sirius. The Star of David, Jewish star, takes Alpha, six-pointed star, embodies the principles, Declaration of Independence, the laws of nature, and nature's God. The upright triangle in the Jewish star represents the ancient star alignment of Sirius, Orion, Taurus, and Pleiades. In the sky, while the inverted triangle symbolizes the duplication of the star alignment in the layout of the Washington, D.C., and the Vatican, and other cities throughout the world. This is the application of, of one of the seven laws of Jehudi Tehudi, hermetic principles called the Law of Correspondence. So, in short, he's going into speaking about how when you're dealing with the layout of Washington, D.C., how these things are laid out as a representation of the same alignment that we're speaking of. Understand that Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and all along that corridor is also laid out on the energy grid. So when these things are formed, they're formed in reverence to ancient symbolism, ancient and historical astronomical occurrences, and they're also formed to capture certain energies. That's why these things are present. We must understand that even the layout of the pyramids or the Maru all over the world generally sit on energy grids. Every single one of them usually sits on an energy grid that wraps around the earth because our ancestors understood the capturing of energy and how to utilize it. So we built these things with purposes in mind. Nothing was just laid out by accident. And it's the same with the layout of Washington, D.C., that it's laid out also dealing with Orion, Taurus, and Pleiades, but more importantly, is laid out to capture the energy that comes in and then figure out ways to utilize it or disseminate that energy of the people. So if there's any questions about that part, a lot of those things, what you'll want to do is you'll want to look up and get an understanding of the dog store series. Now, that dog store series was also spoke about by the Dogon prior to Albion being able to even find it or see it with their telescopes. Again, we're also speaking of Orion's belt, all of those things. Before that, the Albion was able to capture it and see it, it was already known by us, and we reported it to them. And, of course, they thought it was some tomfoolery because of their own ignorance. And then, of course, in their in their fashion, they take it and act like they found something new. But what we have to do is go back and capture that ancient information 
and learn how to utilize it and utilize the energy that's coming in. Because right now, they are utilizing our energy. So with that, if there's any questions, go ahead and press 1 now. If not, we're going to go ahead and close out. So if you have any questions or comments, go ahead and press 1. If not, we're going to close out, and we'll be back at 11 a.m., 1 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next week. We have 347-443 Exchange coming in. 347-Exchange-443-Islam. Islam family, this is Sharif Amadou Masi'il, calling from North of Um Islam, I had a quick, <laughs> how you doing? I had a quick, um, quick comment. I wanted to uh, speak on the Liberty Bell and, um, you know, the, the only delegated uh Supreme Court. Uh, the only delegated court outside of the Supreme Court is 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 located in Philadelphia, and I was doing some you know mm-hmm. some research, just Independence Day research, right? So I was looking at the Liberty Bell, just kind of contemplating on it a little bit, and the re- I just wanted to state um, just a, a brief paragraph that I that that I found, and. It's just interesting to me. I don't know if someone else may want to do further um, investigation on it, but, you know, I just wanted to read this really quickly. It says the Liberty Bell is an iconic symbol. Oh, thank you. Um, It says the Liberty Bell is an iconic symbol of so-called American independence. It was commissioned from from the London firm of Lester and Pack. Today, the Whitechapel Bell Foundry in 1752 and was inscribed with the part of a verse from the book of of Leviticus, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It originally cracked when first rung after arrival in Philadelphia and was twice recasted by local workmen. The bell hung for years in the steeple of Pennsylvania State, uh, Pennsylvania State House, today known as Independence Hall and was used to summon lawmakers to legislative sessions and to alert citizens to public meetings and proclamations. Bells were rung to mark the reading of the so-called Declaration of uh, American Declaration of Independence on July 8, 1776. And while there is no contemporary account of the Liberty Bell ringing, most historians believe it was one of the bells rung. It Acquired its distinctive large crack sometime in the sometime in the early 19th century. A widespread story claimed it cracked while ringing after the death of Chief Justice John Marshall in 1835. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, throw that out there to anybody who is researching today. Um, look up the history about the Liberty Bell because it, it, it it's just it, it I find it, you know 
well, not, I don't want to say ironic, you know, because there really is no such thing as, like, coincidences or anything like that, but for them to call mm-hmm. it, you know, um, for them to ring it, the independence, the date, the, you know, you, you the, 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 the setup that you were speaking about today, how they, mm-hmm. the timeline that they chose, they say that it's the end, we had independence, it's everybody's independence when it's really just the modern European independence. It wasn't even signed on the fourth. It was signed on the second, you know. And then bringing to um, bringing to the light of how um, when they did, even when they did have declarations or proclamations and such, they made sure to alert everyone, all the citizens of that of that town, mm-hmm. of that county, mm-hmm. so that they're on one accord with what's going on. You know, we don't have that present day. You see what I'm saying? So it's just. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, you know, just things um, when you when you read things like this to really see um, what went on at that time and how things have changed um, to keep us misinformed with things, you know. Even even though it's not um, when they read the declaration, you know, certain mistruths were told, but still they alerted people about what was going on, and we don't even get that now, which is why it's on us to project the truth to the people, dispense the truth to the people. Because as you stated, the intent of what people uh, bring forth is what manifests. So, um, right. yeah, I'm not going to take up too much time, Sammy. I just wanted to throw that out there. Right. Islam. Well, you know what I would be, be interested in, because I don't know, I would I would be interested in knowing what is the harmonic vibration of that bell. I was thinking that <laughs> I was thinking that too, you know, because like with the um, like with chakra bowls, they call it chakra bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, when you uh, right, it's a, a copper color bowl, like you know, it, mm-hmm. it encups your hand, right. and you can um put like a um a tool um around the rim, and right. it'll hum to you, and it'll open certain mm-hmm. chakras. So I'm just thinking to myself, right. like, what 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 would be the the frequency that it that right. it rings at? I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right, that bowl is based on the that bowl is based on the own vibration, the own you know right. the bowl is, which is exactly. that representation of that of that three um, that you know you'll see. Soul of um, man, the soul of man, the right. women, uh frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and I'm yeah. wondering what. I'm going to look into that, and I'll get back to you. Um, or if you find it, let me know. Because I wonder what the harmonic vibration of that bell is. Uh, Definitely. Because it would be, of course, no coincidence. If it's one, it's more likely going to be, of course, beta, because that's all those things would be, a feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I would want to know on what ohm does it vibrate on, what, what hurts, uh, what mm-hmm. ohm does it come out as. I would love to know that. I'm going to do some research and see if I could get back to you on that. Definitely. Yeah. But I enjoyed the Please broadcast today, family. You, you know, you always bring the correct information, so I appreciate you speaking to the people, you know, um, Islam for everything mm-hmm. you do. Peace and love. Peace and love. All right. With that, we're going to go ahead and close out. Um, again, the time for the show um, has changed. We will be during the day on Monday, 2 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Same topics, um, same, same discussions. So I will see you next week. Peace and love.